Thank you. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to uh, John chapter 4. And we're going to be in a lot of different passages of Scripture today. Um, but that is where we're going to begin. We're continuing in our, sto- in our series, uh, Jesus Gets Us. And it's really a series about um, where we're looking into the hu- humanity side of Jesus. We know that God, the creator of the universe, understands you and I and how we feel. Because not only was he fully God, he was also fully human. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, it compares Jesus to being um, like a, an Old Testament high priest. The high priest was the mediator between men and God. And, and Hebrews calls Jesus not only a high priest, but they call him the great high priest. He is the ultimate mediator between us and heaven. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We know that empathy is the ability to feel what somebody else is feeling. And we've been looking at how Jesus understands us when we struggle. And he gets it when we struggle. He himself was born into struggle. In fact, the scripture tells us that that as a man, he had no place to call his home or no place to lay his head. And so, we, so Jesus understood tough times. He understood what it was like to struggle. We understood that um, Jesus gets us when we feel anxiety and when we feel stress. Do you guys ever feel stress? Right? No, never, right? Do any of you feel stress this morning trying to get ready for church? Right? No, none of you guys have kids? Right? Right? Every week it's like that. Um, We feel stress level and all of that. Jesus understands us when we get to the end of our rope. He understands our stress levels. And so today we're looking at Jesus and how he understands the outcast. How he understands the outcast. Now, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I just don't fit in. Right? Uh, I'm way better looking than everybody else. No, that's not the case. Uh, but have you ever felt like you never, you don't fit in, like no one gets you? I think at times we all feel like this. And as adults, sometimes we just kind of brush it off our shoulders and say, fine, you know what? You don't like me? Fine. It's no sweat off my back. You know what? I'll just go somewhere else where I am light, you know? But to be honest, it still hurts a little bit. It still stings to know um, that we're not welcome everywhere or when we face rejection, or we wear a label that's put on us by other people. It hurts a little bit. There was once a story about a young boy named Chad, and uh, this is not Chad Reedman, by the way. I have, to, <laughs> I have to clarify this. But Chad was a little shy boy, and one afternoon, late in January, Chad decided that he wanted to do something special for his classmates. And realizing that Valentine's Day was coming up, he wanted to make all of his classmates uh, Valentine's. And so his mother thought that this was a terrible idea because her son Chad was kind of shy. And she would watch her son Chad always come home from school walking behind all of the other kids and how the other kids kind of always excluded him. And she thought, well, there's this potential here 
that it ends poorly for Chad, that Chad gets his hopes up, you know, by giving out all these Valentines and then not receiving anyway. And so his mother was very apprehensive, but decided to go along with Chad anyway. And so they went out and they bought construction paper and glue and glitter and uh, colored markers and paint and all of that. And uh, over the next couple weeks, they made 35 Valentine's Day cards. And uh, Valentine's Day finally rolled around there at the grade school. And uh, he took all of his Valentines in. And, um, and that day when he came home from school, his mother could tell that poor Chad was in a bad mood. And uh, holding back tears, she asked him how it went. And he just mumbled, not a one. He did not receive a single Valentine. And he's like, I never forgot. I didn't forget one. I, I didn't forget anybody, but nobody remembered me. And in that moment, Chad felt outcasted and rejected a little bit. And I know that that's a sad story, but I think that oftentimes, too, you and I kind of, uh, we feel like, Chad did. We feel rejected. There's all been times in our lives where we haven't got the Valentine that we wanted, or we haven't um, been invited to the birthday party, or all the cool kids were going here and we weren't invited. Uh, we weren't invited to join the sports team or the club or, or out, you know, out to, out to eat with everybody. I mean, there's all times when you and I feel like an outsider or an outcast. And you know what? It hurts when we feel rejection. It hurts. And unfortunately, some people feel that exact way about the kingdom of God. And they feel like they don't fit in church. Or they don't feel like they fit in God's kingdom. And they feel outcasted a little bit. Because they go maybe to church and they feel like they don't fit in there. Or they don't fit in with the people. Or it just doesn't click. It doesn't feel right. Today I want you to know that when we feel far off and we feel like we're outcast, Jesus gets us. He understands us. And not just that, I want you to know that Jesus actively pursues the outcast. So today I want to look at, real quick, and I know I have a business meeting later, but five specific moments in the life of Jesus that proves to us that he understands us even when we feel like we don't fit in. Jesus knows the outcast. The very first moment in the life of Jesus that I want to talk about is this time when Jesus encounters a woman at the well. And in John 4, it begins reading like this. Jesus uh, learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, which wasn't true. Actually, it was, it was uh, not Jesus who was baptizing, but it was his disciples. And so verse 3, he decided to leave Judea, and he went once more back to Galilee. And now our text tells us in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. And, and uh, uh, you know, just reading through this, oftentimes we'll get the significance of this verse. Um, but when we dig deeper, we'll understand uh, what this actually means that he had to go through Samaria. Um, you and I often think that, hey, Samaria couldn't be too bad, right? Uh, we have this context found in, um, I think it's uh, John, John, Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 10, about the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
right? You guys will remember the Good Samaritan, right? How many of you guys remember that story, right? The Good Samaritan. There is a man that is traveling on the road and he falls amongst thieves and he's beaten up almost to an inch with, you know, from his death and they rob him and they take everything that he owns, even his clothes and all that stuff. He's laying over there naked and certain people are walking by and they're ignoring him and they don't want to deal with him until the Samaritan comes by. The Samaritan goes out of his way to help this stranger and nurse him back to health and all of those things. And because of that, it's called the Good Samaritan. And so you and I have learned this context that Samaria is, is a good, you know, Samaritans are a good thing. It's a good place. But that wasn't true in first century. The Samaritans were not a good people. And um, they were oftentimes thought as unclean or un, um, unworthy. They were subhuman. Uh, they were worldly. They followed worldly practices. And so the phrase good Samaritan um, would be an oxymoron in those days. They would never call someone from Samaria good. It would be like us calling um, someone today, uh, oh, they were, they were a good Nazi, right? Do you guys know any good Nazis, right? How about some really nice, sweet terrorists, right? Those, those things don't go together. So that would be like, in that culture, someone calling a good Samaritan. Now, on the other side um, of, the, of Samaria, we have like the Jewish people, and Jesus was a Jew. In fact, many people, um, you know, because he was a Jewish teacher, called him rabbi. And so, so, so no good, devout Jew would ever go through Samaria. It just wouldn't happen. It's like I advise people, you know, don't drive through Youngstown at dark, right? It's better to take the long way around, right? Are you guys with me? No? No? How many of you guys like, like up there, Youngstown at dark? Hey, I worked up there, Youngstown at dark, so I know. Um, but it's just something similar to like that. So and if you're from Youngstown, please don't shoot me, okay? Okay. It's just a joke, folks, okay? So, um... So, but this is what it's like for the, in that context and in that, in, that, in that time period. If you were a good, devout Jew, you would never, ever want to go into Samaria. You would take the long way around Samaria as to not defile. The Samaritans were polar opposite. Jews were very, um, I guess, uh, I mean, their, their main goal in life was to remain clean and to remain pure. And to not touch anything unholy. Or not, not to go anywhere that um, might defile yourself. And Samaria was like the, the king of defilement. They were dirty over there. And they had, they had no regard for Old Testament law. But here in verse 4, I'm sorry, uh, I think it's verse, yeah, verse 4. It tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria, and the reason that he had to go through Samaria, because there was a woman at the well that Jesus wanted to meet. He had a date with this woman at the well, and you guys know the story. There's this woman at the well that Jesus encounters in Samaria, and he sits down, and he has a, 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 the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the entire Bible was with the woman at the well. And he has this conversation with her. And he begins talking to the woman about living water. And if she were to um, experience him, that your spirit would never 
thirst again, that everything in your life would be made whole and made clean. And she kept trying to steer the conversation away from herself and say, well, what about this? And what about worship? And what about these different things? And, and Jesus stops her and Jesus is like, listen, woman, I know all about you. I know that in your past that you've had five husbands that you think you're hiding from me, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. I know that you've been with Billy and Bobby and Barry and Brian and Baxter, and now you're with Bing. I know all about you. I know all of your destructive patterns in your life where you feel like these men come into your life, they abuse you, they cheat on you, they run, run around, and you feel like you have to run off to the next man right after you get rid of that man so that you can feel some type of um, normalcy in your life. Jesus is saying, I know all about you. I know all of those things about you. And the woman is shocked and she says, this must be the Messiah. And she goes back and she tells her whole townspeople. And the townspeople come out and there begins this encounter with Jesus. And many people are saved and the town breaks into revival. But the point of the story that we're trying to make today is that well, Jesus will go out of his way for those that are way off. Jesus goes out of his way for people that are way off. So maybe you're here today and maybe you feel like you're way off from God. Maybe you feel like your sins and your failures alienate you from God. Maybe you think God is here and, and it's been so much time since you've been, you felt God in your life or you've dedicated yourself to God and you feel like, man, I could never do that today. You feel like you don't fit into God's kingdom I want you to know that that is the furthest thing from the truth. God goes out of his way for people that are way off. And so if you're here today, I want you to know, just like the woman at the well, God wants to have a conversation with you. God wants to speak to you today. So I encourage you to open up your ears and listen to God and hear what God is speaking to you today. The second moment in Jesus' life that lets us know he gets us, is found in Matthew 8. And here Jesus encounters a man with leprosy. And I'm going to move quick here, but the man cries out to him. And in Matthew 8, 3, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing, and he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And the idea here is that Jesus is willing to reach out and touch the untouchable. He's willing to touch the untouchable. I know that uh, coming out of the COVID-19 um, fiasco, right? I learned a lot of things. I, I mean, I learned what quarantines were and social distancing. Never had we ever, I ever experienced that in my life and probably never you guys also, right? Um, but but social distancing and quarantining is not a new thing. It's been, it's been going on thousands of years, at least back to Leviticus 13, where there were specific rules given for people with leprosy. And people with leprosy were shunned by everyone. In fact, they weren't allowed to go near anyone. Um, they didn't have to like walk a certain way at the supermarket. They wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the supermarket. They weren't allowed to go near 
other people. They had to tear their clothing so that people would be able to easily identify who they are. And if that wasn't bad enough, they had to, um, you know, they had to have their dignity shrink even more. When anyone got around, they always had to yell unclean as a, an alert system, as a warning system. I'm unclean. Don't come near me. Unclean. Well, how do you think that that makes them feel? It makes them feel dejected. And, and people always shunned them. They didn't go anywhere near them. But here in Matthew 8, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man with leprosy. I know there might be an area in your life that you think is beyond God's reach. But it is not. I know sometimes we have health concerns that we think are too big for God. I know sometimes in our lives uh, we see something and we perceive that God doesn't want to touch it. Maybe it's that area of your life that you're just flat out ashamed of. That area of your life that you hide from everybody else and you hope nobody discovers it because it's ugly and it's true and you do your best to shelter everyone and you don't even allow God into that area. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I don't see anything that God could possibly use here. I don't have anything to offer God. My life is ugly and I'm sinful and I'm stained. And because of your, your, um, your life, sometimes you feel like a, a person with leprosy. You feel unclean. You feel unholy. You feel unworthy. You feel uh, uneducated or untalented or unqualified. I want you to know that God is not afraid to reach down and touch you today. He is not afraid of that. And so you can allow God into your life and allow him to, to meet you where you're at. The third moment in Jesus' life that lets us know that he gets us when we feel like we don't fit in is found in Matthew 19, where Jesus encounters little children. Jesus is teaching there at the temple and in verse 13 of Matthew 19, it says, uh, Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So now, in those days, it was customary for people to bring their parent, or I'm sorry, parents to bring their children into the temple to be blessed by the priest. You know, not much has changed today. We still bring our children into church and to, you know, for the pastor to pray with or to dedicate or to baptize. And so we still follow through with these customs. But this is the, the normal custom. And these parents on that day were bringing their children in to be blessed by Jesus. But upon arrival, the disciples begin to rebuke the children. I'm guessing that the children got there before the parents, right? That's how it normally works, right? They come in like a tornado, and, and all of a sudden, the, the disciples, they throw the brakes on. It's not a far stretch to think that when we're dealing with adult things that children oftentimes get overlooked. In adult things, sometimes we're so focused on what we're doing have you ever tried to enter into a building project while trying to watch a kid at the same time? It's very difficult because things can be dangerous and they require so much skill and so much focus. 
And when you're in the middle and you're, you're holding things and you got drills in one hand and you're trying to do this, it's hard to watch kids at the same time and not allow kids to be a part of that process. So kids oftentimes feel overlooked when it comes to adult things. It's not a far stretch. Maybe they rebuke the children, not because of that, but maybe just because children are high maintenance. I figured I would get an amen there. I really did. I figured one person would be on there. Okay, how about this? Some children are higher maintenance than other children. Right? I think that was just all the grandparents I heard saying, yes, right, yeah, I know this. I, we lived it. Right? Children are just, by nature, high maintenance. So maybe the disciples were like, I just feel old and grumpy. I don't have the time to deal with it. You know, and that what's, that's what happens a lot of times. We overlook children because we don't have the energy anymore. Now, I know that the disciples were young by nature. Most of them were in their late teens and early 20s. And so, so they were young. So I'm thinking maybe at that point in, their, in their, their life, maybe they didn't have children. And when you don't have children, you're an expert on them. You guys know how it is, Right. Um, it isn't until you have children that you realize you don't know nothing, right? So maybe they're like, oh, we got this all figured out. All you children need to get out of here. So for whatever reason, we don't know the real reason why they're rebuked, but they are rebuked. Could have been, hey, we're in church and church has a certain level of appropriateness and you kids aren't being appropriate, Right? How many of you guys know kids, kids are not appropriate in church, right? They, they I mean, they're, they're loud and noisy and run and throw candy wrappers everywhere and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of rebuke that could go. We don't know the reason why, but we know the disciples rebuked them. And what we usually forget in this story is how we feel as a child when we get rebuked. How did you ever feel when you got rebuked as a child? Not good. Some of you got rebuked with belts. Right? That didn't feel good. Some of you got rebuked with, uh, what, what do they call it, switches? Right? Go pick your own switch. Right? And you're trying to pick the wimpiest one out of all of them. And then they send you back, no, get, get a real one, right? All of those things, you know, they're rebuked in church. As a child, they probably felt confused. My, my parents are telling me to come in. You're telling me that I can't. And there's a conversation that's probably happening between the disciples and the parents, of some commotion about why they're not allowed. And as a child, you know you're the source of it. How does that make them feel? It makes them feel overlooked, like they're not worthy. Makes them feel excluded. Excluded based on their age, and there's nothing they can do about their age. Excluded based on their maturity level, and and there is nothing a 10-year-old can do about their maturity level. It just is what it is. As a parent, you're just going to have to wait that thing out until they're about 35. Right? You just got to wait that thing out. There's nothing they can do. Maybe they're 
They feel excluded based on the bias of other people who just don't like children being around. And Jesus sees the commotion and he sees the children and he says, absolutely not. Not on my watch, not in my house. He says, let the little children come unto me. Let them come unto me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And the message we're understanding is that Jesus sees those who are often overlooked. He sees them. And so if you ever feel like you're overlooked, maybe you're excluded because of who you are. You're excluded because of what you represent. Maybe you feel excluded in life because... Um, you can't get out as much as you used to. And you feel neglected. Maybe um, you feel like you don't fit in. Maybe you feel like the kingdom of God isn't for people that look like you. People with tattoos or piercings. Or maybe you feel excluded because of the color of your skin. Or maybe your upbringing. Or maybe your social status. Or maybe the size of your bank account. Or your circle of friends. Or you're overlooked in society. You know what? Jesus sees you. He sees those that are often overlooked. And beyond Jesus just seeing you, you know what he says? He says, come unto me. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like you. The fourth moment in Jesus' life that lets us know he gets us even when we feel like we don't fit in, is that Jesus encounters a man at his execution. I know our thinking in history, we're very familiar with the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, that moment when he died on the cross for our sins. And if you were there at that crucifixion that day, all eyes would have been on Jesus, and rightfully so. He was the main star. He was the main attraction that day. But there was also people beside Jesus. There was also two criminals that hung right beside him on the cross. And we don't know much about these thieves. We don't know who they were. We don't know their names. We don't know their crimes. But we do know they were guilty. And they begin to have an argument which is, I, I find it's a little hilarious that, that when you're being executed like that in that fashion and you are inches away from breath that you're still arguing with the person next to you. Sounds like a few people I know. <laughs> right? And they begin this argument and one guy is, is, is kind of um, chewing out Jesus and he's, he's mocking Jesus a little bit, saying, why don't you just take yourself down from here? And all of this stuff. And the other, the other thief begins to say, hey, let him, let him alone. Leave him alone. And the one criminal that begins defending Jesus begins saying things like, this man that's hanging between us has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. He's up here not because of what he's done, but because of what everyone else has done. And he asks Jesus for one last thing. He says, Jesus, will you remember me when you reach your kingdom? And what does Jesus say to him in response? He says, 
Truly, I tell you today that you will be with me in paradise. In this moment in time, Jesus shows us that he remembers those who are forgotten. He remembers those who are forgotten. And Jesus identifies so much with those that are forgotten that in Matthew chapter 25, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the people that will get into heaven. And he says this, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and need something to drink and all of those things? When did we see you in prison and never come visit you? In verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so Jesus identifies himself with those people that the world forgets about. You know, the people that the world likes to sweep into the corner and forget about. The people where they feel like the world's passed them by. Where they feel neglected or they feel forgotten. They feel marginalized, like they're just another number in the system. They're just another employee. They're just another paycheck in the family. And when you get right down to it, the people that feel all alone and they feel lonely. Jesus identifies with those people and he wants you to know today that he remembers all of those that are forgotten. Last moment in Jesus' life tells us that he gets us even when we feel like we're far off is that Jesus encounters sinners. Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus eating dinner and he's eating dinner at the house. Um, we know him as Matthew, and that's the very first gospel in the New Testament. But in this situation, he's called by his Hebrew name, which is Levi. And he's eating with Levi. And he's, Levi is a tax collector by trade. And uh, nobody likes tax collectors, right? Um, not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? We're taxed to death. I mean, you guys like paying taxes, right? We love IRS when they come knocking. Right, all of those things. Um, but in those days, tax collectors were uh, extremely nefarious because a lot of times they would side with the Romans versus their own countrymen and their own people. So they worked for the Romans. And then on top of that, they would build their wealth and pad their wealth by charging extra taxes. And so the Romans would require this amount, they would tack on another 10 or 20 or 50 percent and make that much more for themselves. And nobody knew the, the difference. And there was nothing that people could do about it. And so the tax collectors were extremely hated in those days. Not only were they sinners, they were like the worst of sinners. They were disliked because of what they're doing and they're working against their own people. And the religious leaders are watching Jesus hang out with the tax collectors. And they say, Jesus, why do you eat and why do you drink with tax collectors? 
And Jesus answers them in Luke 5.31, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have called, come to call sinners to repentance. And this is the main point of Jesus' entire ministry, is that he comes to call sinners into his kingdom. You know, people like you and me. And Jesus doesn't worry about social statuses. He doesn't care about how rich or how poor you and I are. He doesn't care about your upbringing or your lack thereof. He doesn't care about your pedigree. He doesn't call it, care about your education. Jesus bypasses every cultural expectation that everyone else thought he should have, and he had dinner with them. And I think on that day, Jesus probably had a lot of options. I think that Jesus could have had dinner uh, with God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he could have prayed and communed with his heavenly father and said, God, this is, I'm having dinner here tonight with you. I think that Jesus could have had dinner with all of the angels. The Bible tells us that the angels were at his command and that he could call 10,000 of them down and they would have to respond. Right? Jesus commands the angels. He could have had dinner with the angels. He could have had dinner with the politicians. And the, the elite, the rich people, he could have had dinner with any of them. He could have went to church and had dinner with the religious leaders. But in the end, that night, Jesus chose to eat with tax collectors and sinners. The people that no one else got and everyone else shunned and that were outcasts even in their own neighborhoods. As we wrap up today, I'm going to ask Courtney to come to the piano. But I want you to know that it's easy to feel like an outcast. It's easy to feel that way. Oftentimes, we feel that way in some way, one way or another. We feel outcast. We feel like we don't fit in. Oftentimes, we feel like we made the wrong turns in life. We made the wrong steps. And because of our sin, we're alienated from God. And we feel that way. We feel like an outcast with God. We feel like we don't deserve Him because of the things that we've done. Maybe we feel unqualified. Like, God could never use me. You don't know who I am. You don't know my past. Sometimes we just feel shunned by modern religion. Like, I don't get it, modern religion, and I don't feel fit in with modern religion. Sometimes you and I feel like we're the dirge of the earth, just swept into the corners to be silent until that moment when we pass. And if you're here and you feel that way, I want you to know that Jesus understands you. Jesus gets you. If you feel that way, he understands you. And here's what I want you to know today. If you feel that way, and you feel outcasted by God in any way, you feel outcasted by his kingdom, 
Maybe you're in a place in your life where you feel lonely. You feel like you don't fit in. You feel like like the, the church has forgotten about you. God's forgotten about you. The world's forgotten about you. Your family's forgotten about you. Society's forgotten about you. I want you to hear this and know this. That if Jesus will go out of his way to touch a Samaritan woman and he will reach out his hand and touch someone with leprosy and he will see those that are overlooked and call the children unto him to come be with him if he will remember someone in their last dying moments on a cross and extend grace and mercy if he will eat and dine with sinners, then surely there is hope for someone like you and someone like me. We're, we're not, God doesn't just see us. God cherishes us. We are who Jesus came for. Sinners. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today in just a moment of commitment? And maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, you know what? I'm identifying with this in this moment because I felt this way at one time or another. I want you to know today that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible tells us that there is nothing in all of creation. Nothing. There's absolutely, positively nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he sees you, he reaches out for you, he goes out of his way for you so that you might know him. That you might have relationship with him. And just like at the, the woman at the well, Jesus wants to have conversation with you. And invite you to have relationship with Him. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I have felt those things about my relationship with God. I felt outcasted. Today, I want to accept God into my life. I want to change those things. In this moment, would you accept Him into your life? Would you just lift up a hand so I can pray for you? Okay. Okay, I see hands. Now, Lord, today, in this moment, God, we feel your presence. God, we know that you're real. We know that you've spoken to us today. Lord, today in this place, Lord, would you make yourself real? Lord, and we feel like we've been away or we feel like we haven't fit in. We felt like outcasts. God, we felt the pressures of this world and the problems of this world just alienate us. God, we invite you into our lives. God, I invite you into my life. Pray that prayer today. Right now, just invite God into your life. God, I'm sorry for those things 
that I've done that are not pleasing to you, those things that are wrong, the missteps I've taken, we call that sin. God, I'm sorry for all of that. God, come into my life and make me clean. Restore me. Allow me to have relationship with you. Lord, today in this place, Lord, Lord, would you meet us again? Meet us again in this place. God, allow us to feel a part of you. For when you are in our life, Lord, we never feel outcasted. Because you're right there with us. All the time, everywhere we go. Now, Lord, I just thank you for everything that you've done in this place. Lord, I thank you for every hand that was uplifted. God, I thank you for those that feel this from time to time. God, let us know that you're always near. You're always near. Lord, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. You know, these altars are always open. If you want prayer, um, I'll be floating around, but you can always pray here. Uh, we're going to officially dismiss church. Um, if you, uh, we're going to have the business meeting probably, let's, let's say, five minutes from now. And so that'll give you time to use uh, the restrooms or facilities and all of that. Um, the members are going to sit on this side. If you're a non-member, sit on this side. There is a uh, roster um, that, where's the roster? I'm looking for Connie. You have the roster? It's in the, it's in the fel fellowship hall. So if you would sign that roster and just sign in to let us know uh, that you're here so we can get an accurate uh, uh, record for our business meeting. Um, but we're going to dismiss. Go in the grace of God. Uh, we'll see you Wednesday night as our Bible studies next Sunday. God bless you guys. Uh, for those staying, um, five-minute recess, and then we'll, we'll be right here in the sanctuary. God bless you guys.